On this episode of AV Week, we talk about Seton Hall's digital design scholarship. Is it the future of the AV integrator? My Tech and Atlas push the Resimercial revolution and Stadium Arena Sound. What do you need to know and should you do it? All this and more on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 421, recorded September 13th, 2019. Silverbacks and Sapling. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, Sound Extraordinary, and by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment, and by AV Pro Edge, manufacturer of next-level video distribution solutions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of AV Week, your source for news and information in the AV IT industries. I'm your host today, George Tucker. Thank you for joining us. We always love when you're here. Today, we're going to talk about a number of things, and I've got a great panel lined up for you. First off is Frank Culotta. He is the president of Simcoe. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you as well. All right. Also joining us is Dawn Mead. She is the senior AV architect for a company that remained unnamed, but she's also, more excitingly, the host of AV Social here on AV Nation with Kelly Perkins. Good to see you again. Good seeing you, George. Thanks for having me on AV Week. Oh, yeah. All right. And also joining us is Dan Helfrick. He is the VP of Customer Development and Marketing at Z-Band. Good to see you, sir. Thank you, George. Nice to see you as well. All right. All right. So it is the fall, uh, which brings us uh, two things. The beginning of school, or at least for the Northeast. Yes, we know you Midwest and Southern have started early. Good for you. <laughs> Taunt me later in June when you're all off before us. But that being said, it's also the season of Cedia. And that's also about education in many degrees as well, right? So let's go to our first story. This is from our friends at Commercial Integrator. OpenEye Global CEO Brian Mazeros starts digital design scholarship at Seton Hall, home of Pirate Radio. Sorry, I had to put that one in. Uh, it's a scholarship for digital design in the AV business. Now, Brian started off like a lot of us in the AV industry. He basically says he got to it by mistake or accident in his words. Uh, but that seems to be how a lot of us fall into it, right? We're musicians or we're technical people who suddenly said, hey, there's a job here at Pays. Won't you join us for a little while? And we stay. It's sort of like that line from the, ma the, the mafia movies, right? Every time <laughs> I try to get out, they pull me back in. Anyway, the thing that we need, and Don, you and I, I know have talked about this a lot, but getting more people into the AV industry, this hidden billion dollar industry that doesn't really have many degrees. Yes, right. we have John Huntington, right? He's at uh, Yale and uh, the Brooklyn Tech College. Uh, and then there's a few small trade schools that are starting to smatter in it. But this seems to be a big development. And I want to go actually first to Frank, because Frank, I know that you have something happening next week in which you're bringing a bunch of, I believe it's high school students into a showcase to work within that realm and actually gain experience and hands-on uh, stuff with AV. 
Absolutely. We, um, we have our New York City Showcase next week, uh, this September 17th, and uh, we were contacted by CJ, who is uh, one of the teachers at Lincoln Tech, and he asked if he could bring 35 students in for the morning sessions, some classes to see the exhibits, walk the floor, touch the technology, and we jumped at the opportunity. Uh, for so long now, it's been a really important initiative of ours, and most of the people on this call and in our industry, and I know even our association of VIX has made a big point of pursuing this for a long time now, is uh, they call us silverbacks. Us, uh, <laughs> what they call, I think, old apes, I believe. But that's what our industry seems to be full of. So uh, realizing that there's a value in bringing the younger people in, there's been a lot of initiatives. And we ourselves have uh, been both lucky and unlucky in hiring young people. The one that we've gotten that worked out has been absolute gold. And we, of course, have had some others that didn't. But that's true of pretty much any position at any age we hire at. Um, so we're happy to get behind this initiative. We're really excited to see uh, 35 students from Lincoln Tech and, uh, and like to see many more. So anybody's invited. Very cool. Now, Don, I, I mentioned you at first because we've talked about this a lot, but right. a scholarship, right? To get already in, I think they're in marketing and is it uh, digital communication, I believe is what they're using uh, at Seton Hall on the Pirate Radio. Sorry. Um, so <laughs> if you don't know Pirate Radio, it's a heavy metal station that's been around since the 80s. It's very fun. Uh, how do we go from Brian Mazeros, many of my names, right? Brian Mazeros getting a scholarship to a full like, college course in this. I mean, where are we missing the gap where they're still not seeing a billion dollar industry that provides careers of, you know, of really good income? Well, I, I will say this just in the time that I've been in the career, and I, I, you know, I don't like to admit that. I've been in the industry for 20 years. That sounds scary, and it makes me sound really old. I, I don't like to think of myself as a silverback, but I've been around longer than some of the kids. Um, just in my career in the industry, I've seen the awareness of our industry and the development of our industry outside of our own silo expand greatly. Um, several years ago, when Infocom gave away their first Vergawin Foundation scholarship, um, we didn't have any high school students or undergrads applied. And I was already working in the industry going back for a technical degree. I applied. I ended up winning it because there weren't any younger folks that knew about this industry, let alone this particular scholarship. So the fact that there are Vergowan scholarships, the fact that there is an Ignite Foundation through NSCA, which my co-host Kelly would kill me for not mentioning since she's the director, uh, <laughs> and the fact that there are scholarships like this at Seton Hall and um, programs like Columbia College, I think in Chicago has a great program. A lot of schools are beginning to recognize and people outside of our silo are beginning to recognize that AV is in fact a thing. The industry is well over 100 years old. The association of ICSA or whatever they're going to be called next week <laughs> is, is over 75, 80 years old, but people aren't aware we're a thing. And so I think what we're doing is helping things like the Ignite Foundation, things like getting awareness of new scholarships specific to our industry, and things like Simcoe inviting young folks to technology showcases. You know, those sorts of actions, the little small actions, are beginning to add up. We just need to ramp that up. If every integrator, every manufacturer, every end user that is like me, specific to the AV silo in your company, were to go out and talk to a few young people, whether at a high school, a middle school, a, a Girl Scout, Boy Scout troop, you know, uh, even, even college and technical schools, and talked about 
how cool our industry is, a multi-million billion dollar career worldwide, and they pay us to play with big kid toys. They, play, they pay us to play with TVs and speakers and mics and all this cool technology and do things like light the castle at Disney with, with you know, video and with sound to do things like some of the experiential museum exhibits that I've seen and that have been advertised. You, you know, they don't know we're a thing, but we are. So if we just all went out and talked about it a little bit, there would be, I think, a groundswell of people getting interested in it. And once those people are interested in it, you know, the schools are going to have to follow. And some of the schools, they talk to Avixa, they talk to NSCA, they talk to other organizations to get information about our field, to get, you know, I, I know our local community college offers classes that can count towards the CTS, you know, some of the basic classes in, in association with Avixa, but there isn't a demand for it. So we got to start with letting kids know we're a thing and we're a cool thing and we're a cool thing that pays pretty decently depending on what your role is. So, you know, get that excitement out there and then have the association and the foundations and the individual companies step up with scholarships and things. You know, it's inevitable. If, if you woke up tomorrow and there was no AV in the world, it would not be the world we know and love in 2019 without any speakers, mics. I mean, even the IT world, as, as entrenched as they are as a real job, they wouldn't have monitors to look at their, their computers. They wouldn't have, you know, microphones and screens to input or uh, speakers to input and listen to their computers. Where would we be? So I, I think it's up to us to just sort of evangelize. Get on your soapbox. Talk about how awesome it is. Get out there, people. Yeah. So, Dan... Uh, Brian from OpenEye started as a marketing person, right? And marketing tends to have an influx of more vibrant and you know, enthusiastic youth uh, who, uh, who seem to flock towards that type of, uh, of a career. But he came from that because he had to learn the digital signage. He calls them displays there, but it was digital signage, right? Uh, D-O-O-H for us old-timer silverbacks. But is there a possibility there of finding that new innovative people from that side of marketing from being able to say go from just not talking about and hyping it to actually like demonstrating and doing it uh, do you find that your folks of i guess any age you know get invigorated by actually using the technologies or do, and do you have you seen any go from marketing to the actual technical side as we like to call it sure so i'm probably a, a good example of that transition actually so i mean my journey started i was a retail salesperson i had graduated from college Am I going to go back and get a master's in mathematics? Like, what do I want to do? And then I kind of, as Brian talked about in the article, I just fell backwards into a job in the AV world. And, you know, I tell people now when I meet them on the street, I work in AV and they're like, oh, cool, you're developing autonomous vehicles. <laughs> so, I mean, we don't even really have our own acronym locked down at this point in time. Um, and it's difficult, right? Because we go out to people and we talk to our customer set, we, we hire people. And we have a, I don't know, about a 20 page glossary of terms that like you need to learn if you're going to work in this industry. Uh, this is encoding, compression, transport protocol, all these things that you don't hear as you're going through your degree in marketing or you're getting your uh, bachelor's in philosophy or whatever it is you happen to get. And then you get out and you realize like, oh, crap, I can't get a job with this. Um, and so we do have a lot of people. Um, that come in and they come in maybe from retail where they're doing sales, but they don't like the hour. They come in from marketing where they've got skills in content creation and they've got skills in media creation, but not necessarily skills in 
the transport side of things. And so we have a, a lot of people within our company that we make that transition, right? When I was hired off the street, I was a, a math major with retail sales experience, and now I can go out and by myself implement an, an IPTV system on a, in a Fortune 500 company. Um, so it's difficult, right? Because to what Frank was saying earlier, we hire, some people can't pick up the industry, they can't pick up the terms, they just don't get it and they don't last. And then you hire and you bring in people and they get it and they really get excited. Like they walk into the show at Infocom or at NAB or wherever it is that we're going and their like eyes just explode with everything that they're seeing in these booths and the screens and the, the 8K walls. Um, and so I think that that is going to be the place that we have to pull talent from, at least in the iterate in for now. And then to Dawn's point that she was making earlier, I think the most natural fit with this, at least in the educational environment as it's currently structured, is trade schools or wrapped in with IT. Um, because, and we'll talk about it in some of the articles later, I guess, so much of what we're doing now in audio, in video, is being put over that I network anyway, that there's kind of a natural fit there in having people and bringing people on board who understand that side of it anyway, and then we can teach them the, the AV side of the world, the AV that's riding on top of those those, those, those networks. Yeah, if, if I can jump on that, you know, that's one thing that I've done since landing in my current position, because AV sort of falls under the IT umbrella at my organization. I, anytime the interns come rolling in in the spring, you know, we get thousands of interns at all of our locations every year. Anytime we get the new IT interns and they start doing their rotations from job to job, I say, hey, have you thought about AV? Have you, have you considered this? And, and, you know, and I mentioned earlier, like Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, I think it's Dr. Bonnie Schnitta, who uh, has spoken at, at Infocom show multiple times for the women in AV groups. She's uh, very high up with the uh, Women Acoustical Engineers organization. I don't remember the exact uh, organization name, but she actually developed a patch that brownies or Girl Scouts can earn in audio technology. And silly things like, you know, using um, ball pit balls to show how, you know, sound molecules travel or, or whatever, and little hands-on activities that the kids can do that get them excited about this. You know, that's, that's where the future is. But yeah, Dan, I 100% agree. You know, bundle up with IT, make friends with the trade school folks, and let's get some young bodies in here. Or just at least from different angles. All right. right. Uh, let's move on a little bit uh, to, uh, again, let's cover a little bit of Cedia uh, uh, from our friends at AV Nation. Hey, look at that. A little navel gazing uh, from it. It's uh, Might Atlas IED helping Cedia channel focus on Resi Mercial at Expo 2019. Uh, the article goes on to talk about MyTech and Atlas ID showing flexible Resi Mercial. Resi Mercial. Oh, I almost had it twice. Resi Mercial <laughs> Solutions. Uh, here's my big question about this. Uh, Atlas and MyTech, they, um, they are showing off a bunch of uh, uh, audio masking and uh, they call easy system packages, which is the complete packages minus just the labor and the cable. Uh, and, they're, um, and what I'm really excited about actually is their strategically hidden speaker systems, the SHS system. Uh, but here's my question to this. Dan, I'm going to start with you a little bit. Do you think that like commercial should be at Cedia? I mean, where are we going where they're trying to lure residential dealers into the commercial space or ease that transition. I guess my question is why are they doing that? And really should we be promoting that at that kind of show? 
So I, I had some thought about this one um, as I was reading through everything, and I think it's a, I think it's a good idea for the business integrators or the folks that are doing kind of uh, these entertainment venues to be at Cedia. Uh, and one of the things that we run into, and again, my experience is more specific with video, uh, but the experience in definitely in the video world that the customer has at home defines the baseline set of expectations that they're going to have when they're bringing that to a corporate environment or to a stadium or, you know, to a healthcare facility even. Um, so, we definitely need to be at Cedia. There needs to be some cross-pollination between Cedia and the rest of the world because what's going on at home, and I, I think the other article uh, that you sent out mentioned some sound side of things, whether it's from a, an audio side of things, whether it's on the video side of things, that is where we most commonly interact with AV, even though we don't define it that way while we're interacting with AV at the house. And so it does inform the baseline expectations that our customer sets are going to have. So understanding what's going on in that high-end home arena is definitely something that's worth keeping an eye on. And I think to the point of the article, there are definitely some things that we're doing really elegantly in the corporate space, whether that's in uh, meeting rooms or whether that's a conference area, sports bars that apply into that that resimercial market, um, if that's what we're going to term it. And so I think the crosstalk between the two industries is probably going to be valuable on both ends. You know, that brings up a question in my head. You talk about that. Um, Frank, do you, does this, what does this say about the commercial environment? Does this like huddle rooms, does it tell us that the bigger, more expansive systems, you know, aside from say one of the articles we're going to cover in um, auditoriums and stadiums, are we really looking at smaller jobs that so the resis have been able to do i know the, the million dollar homes are big but compared to giant commercial building inter, uh, integrations this is really reducing it down with smaller crews and smaller you know to end to task jobs are we seeing a commercial environment that's really going smaller and that larger more encompassing encompassing uh, uh installs are less and less i know i think for a couple reasons um my experience over the last couple of years in the New York metro area has been that every dealer, commercial dealer, which is what I call dealers, because that's the market we're in, uh, is so busy trying to get done their commercial projects that few, if any, will take a resi job, especially a smaller resi job. Uh, now, strategically, they will if it's the vice president of AT&T's home and it's a, a half million dollar system, it's borderline commercial at that point anyway. But, um, but most of them are one, too busy, and two, it's a different skill set. It's been explained to me many times that commercial integrators don't want to get the, forgive me, Dawn, but the call from the wife on the weekend when uh, something's not working and they're screaming and yelling on the phone. That's the way it was explained to me. I didn't make that up. Um, so they're not, they're not geared as a service model to the residential customer. Um, they're plenty busy on this side, the commercial side. And historically, when I was looking back, read, uh, thinking about this point, um, there have been times where more residential people, more residential integrators got commercial and vice versa. And it always seemed to be when one or the other wasn't doing well mm. and they had people to keep busy and things like that. And that does not seem to be the case right now. So though it's very successful at ISC, uh, the ISC attendee is a different type of integrator in most cases. They do both by nature. I don't think we have that, um, that relationship uh, with the integrators in the United States. I think most of them are either resi or commercial, few or both. Um, so it's working elsewhere, but I don't see a lot of it right now uh, in our U.S. commercial market. 
Yeah. Don, given the fact that you're a strategic analyst, as it were, for AV, for an unnamed corporation, uh, they, they, they focus here on the resi-mercial transition with masking and packages to do that. Do you find that an advantageous thing from your perspective? Say, I'd rather them come in with these packages set to go, and is masking actually the big thing? I mean, does that say that our spaces are not built the way they used to be with architects to maximize what we use them for? I mean, why are we so emphasized on this masking and PA for, for, uh, to, as a commercial transition point? Right. Um, well, it's interesting because, you know, until I read this article, I wouldn't have really thought of masking as something that you would need in the home as much. In fact, working in the commercial space, we rarely had call for masking unless we were doing something in the government or defense spaces or healthcare. Um, those tended to be where you needed the masking technology most. Um, but I, I, can, I can see their point for, for the residential space because, you know, well, you said it, you know, anyone that's bought a house in the past 15 years, they're not built like they used to be. Um, you know, you hear about these, these people using like lowest, uh, lowest cost drywall and lowest cost this and, and prefab houses that just sort of spring up in developments overnight, you know, not, not to bust on the construction trade because, you know, they do their jobs and a lot of them do it very well, but it's not the same as that, you know, solid brick or stone house built back in the 50s or 40s or before with, you know, walls that thick, solid material that you can't hear through. If you have a neighbor, you're going to hear their music if they're having a jamming party, you know. If you live in apartments or condos or townhouses, even more. So the, the idea of using masking in the residential space totally makes sense after I thought about it. Um, the idea of packaging systems is something that I don't think would hurt our commercial manufacturers to think about. Um, I know since I made the shift from an integrator to an end user, one of the things that we're doing enterprise-wide is sort of standardizing our systems down to package orders so that if a site on the West Coast or a site in Europe or a site wherever says they need, you know, 12 rooms of this size that are going to do this function, we say, okay, here's package A that you want to order from your local integrator and with these products that are approved by the enterprise IT and cybersecurity teams, that's what you want to use. So the, the idea of getting manufacturers used to these package SKUs is actually a good one from my perspective as an end user now. Now, as an integrator and, and, and manufacturer and a rep, it'd be like, oh, God, another thing we got to think about. Like, <laughs> it's, it's always evolving and it's always changing and everyone has their own needs. But I, I, it kind of makes sense. And, and, you know, Frank brought up ISE. You know, the U.S. is different from Europe, but the sort of resi mercials, we used to call it prosumer model, has existed in the past. And we've used commercial stuff at home for people with big budgets in the past here in the U.S. and in the enterprise, everybody's looking at the bottom line and they don't want to pay all that money for a 24-7, 365 commercial unit when, you know, a 24 or an 8, you know, 5 model in the prosumer line would work. Or they could buy a bunch of the cheapies from Costco and stick six in the closet for when they burn them out. So, you know, it's evolving both on the residential end to a higher quality standard requirement, and it's sort of settling to a eh, good enough model in some consumer 
work or commercial workspaces. So it, it kind of makes sense. All right. There you go. Uh, all right. In that vein, though, but in a larger, we mentioned earlier about Stadium, from our friends at AV Network or the Sound Contractor News imprint that they have, uh, Stadium in Arena Sound by our friend Megan. I love her work. She's so incomprehensible. But she goes on to this article that uh, Stadium and Arena Sound is a $27.7 billion, that's B, billion in pro AV revenue. Uh, this was a uh, part of an Avixa report called Market Opportunity Analysis Report Sports Venues. So you can go link and get that if you'd like. It's got a lot of good information. Uh, what it covers, though, in my well, my take on this was uh, the the collaboration with architects, the ability to have an AV person who knows how to make uh, spaces flexible, and ADA. And that's sort of what I want to talk to you guys about. Uh, Frank, I'll start with you on this. Uh, we often do take a backseat to the architects when, even when the venue is sound focused, it is the aesthetic of the architect's vision that sort of is preeminent to the end product. And my question to you is, why do we let that happen? And how can we get along with the AD, uh, was it the AIA, so not ADA, AIA, the American Institute of Architects, to solve this? I know companies like Crestron and others have tried to do this, but where are we missing that connection that they can start to listen to us and bring us in at least at the table, if not at the beginning? Specifically as it pertains to sound, you're asking? Sure, in general, but you know, this sort of brings up that subject. Yeah, um, and I had deeper thoughts beyond sound. Um, we just watched the US Open just finished last weekend and uh, for the first time ever, I noticed, maybe they had it last year, but a full LED wall behind both, uh, both sides of the courts and all the way wrapping the court, which was amazing. Um, my point there was that we seem to see more and more of it now that is more aesthetically pleasing and I think more in line with uh, what architects uh, find appealing and, and uh, acceptable. Uh, getting back to sound, uh, traditionally, especially in large venue, line array is big, ugly speakers. I can remember back in the 70s and 80s going to concerts and just staring at those behemoth black uh, rows of speakers that I'm sure that it, that would make an architect uh, roll in his grave um, or, or lose sleep at night. So I see that by uh, sort of by the, 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 the true science of it, we need big, beefy uh, electronics to get the proper amount of sound for, for a large venue. That in and of itself creates a problem. But more and more, I think that sound solutions are being buried inside of architecture. Uh, there's certain solutions out there to make flat surfaces, actually the speakers, be it glass or, or drywall or whatever. So I think we're making small steps there, but I think it gets really tricky when you get to large venue, especially again, because the line array and the size of the space we're trying to fill, I don't know that there's an easy solution to that or one coming soon. Hmm. All right, so yeah, still, we need them in, in with us to understand those it is what possibles, it is. yeah. I mean, Dan, uh, to that end, they talk a lot about flexibility, right? These stadiums are not just huddle rooms or not just conference rooms. They're, they're for football, baseball, for rock and roll concerts. They use them for other events. We need to be able to design those systems to be flexible. And they mention a lot of the networking. Uh, do we think we have in the general AV, commercial AV world, the, the facility to actually accommodate that? And where are we getting the folks to, we know can coordinate AV and networking, the flexibility of sounds and moving them around. I mean, how do we, how do we get over to the architects and to the, especially to the stadium owners that that's really necessary, that they need to pay attention and not cut it as a line item. <laughs> so, I mean, we, 
We do try and work as much as we can with the architects. I mean, it's one of the initiatives of the sales team here to get in with the architects. We have uh, Division 27 spec that we have written up that we can provide to architects on how to pull the system, what makes it unique, what the uh, infrastructure requirements are going to be. Um, and one of the things I was thinking about while I was reading this article is I'm a soccer fan. Actually, you can see over my shoulder there, there's a Tottenham Hotspur flag, and they just built a new stadium. They built it to 62,000 seaters in London. It's going to host two NFL games this year. And if you read through, because they published a lot of their AV stuff, there's something like 1,800 TVs, TVs in there. There's like 450 uh, IP networked speakers. And then there's the full security system. There's a ton of other stuff. And they're going to bring in concerts. They're going to bring in esports. They have the NFL. They have the Premier League. They have boxing. So the flexibility that we're designing these venues for now is all, again, a lot of stuff, it's business, right? It's coming back to dollars and cents is now Tottenham Hotspur or, you know, Dallas Cowboys or the Redskins, whoever it is that you happen to follow can use this stadium as a revenue generation mechanism for their organization that goes above and beyond just hosting the event that we watch on Saturday or Sunday. And when we're talking to really a lot of this, because they're going to be the person that puts the system together and then make sure that everything is, is working and does the final sign off, um, unfortunately falls on the integrator, right? So where you end up finding these people is at the integrator level, do they have a, a project manager or an engineer behind the scenes who has the networking experience and has the AV experience to tie all of this stuff together? Um, and one of the questions that was, was sent out was when do you back off or when do you not bid? And, and when we don't bid is when we're not comfortable with the partners that we're bringing into this situation, right? That is a really big red flag to us is where we don't, you just don't want to provide uh, pricing or put your system out there for someone that you're not comfortable with and don't, you're not comfortable that they have the expertise to move forward on a project of, of this size and scale. So that's kind of, it's a little bit, I don't want to put the, I don't want to just stamp it all on the integrators, right? Because they're obviously going to come back to us for help and expertise and we're going to be there with them through that process. But it does, they're the ones signing the paperwork at the end of the day. So it does kind of, that's where you have to look for the expert who's going to understand it all. Right. Right. You know, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned experts and, and all those valid points, but Don, something you and I talked about just before the taping of the show, uh, this also goes into, Megan goes into about ADA, the uh, Americans for Disability Act coverage, uh, something that in commercial spaces we're seeing more and more of a need to comply with. And I know you've in the past dealt with it and I deal with it in the theatrical, you know, regional touring theaters uh, that require it. We as an industry haven't really paid attention much to ADA other than to say, make it louder. Uh, talk to me about your experiences in having to comply with that and some of the things that we need, even on a, a, a huddle room or a, a commercial space level, to be aware of when the ADA is, is involved here. Well, you know, ADA requirements are interesting because as soon as you think you got a handle on it, then there's a subsection that you missed or a new subsection passes or something and suddenly you don't have a handle on it. Hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the spaces in the past that, that when I was an integrator, we thought we might be subject to ADA. It turned out, well, maybe you're not subject because of this loophole or that, you know, side adjunct that, you know, well, it's, it's public spaces. They have to be public spaces that are accessible via ADA or spaces over a certain size, you know, and something like even a large church, 
yeah, you should you should offer for your your attendees ADA, um, you know, listening assisted listening devices and 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 re, you know, um, captioning and that sort of thing. But it depending on your your local area, it might not be required, or if it is required, depending on the size of your church, it might only be one or two little headsets. It's you know, when we're talking stadiums, it, it's a whole nother ball game. And um, I actually was laughing when, when uh, Dan was speaking there because he mentioned, you know, being comfortable with your integrator and finding someone with the scope and scale. And that's something, you know, unless you're AVI SPL, unless you're diversified, unless you're one of the people that shows up on that great list that comes out every year of the biggest in the world, a lot of us were never going to do a stadium. A lot of us are never going to do some of these multi-million dollar projects. Most of our integrator, er, integrators in the industry are still fairly small, boutique-sized mom-and-pop integrators. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to pay attention to this stuff. Because a mom-and-pop integrator bidding on a stadium, yeah, that's a little ridiculous. Like, you know, you know, even if you put all the mom-and-pops in our metro region together, I don't know that you could do, handle a stadium because of that big picture, everything's entwined. But I know from experience, the company I worked with last we want a major state contract to do a big um, uh, emergency operations center. And a one of the larger integrators protested and said, they, they can't handle that. And I was like, well, yeah, actually we can. We can show you simultaneously, we worked on this project, this project, and this project. And all you're doing is a room the size of this project, another room the size of this project, and another room the size of this project in your center. You know, we ended up winning that and, and doing this, the system. But you know, it's a case of knowing what's involved and who is requiring what. And that's where you need a real good project manager. You need someone on your project management staff that can handle something, like Dan said, of the scope and size. You also need them to be familiar with your local regulations and your federal regulations to know, is this space required to have ADA? Even if you're working in the government contracting world, with government customers, you might not always have to put ADA in all of your spaces, depending on what the space is and what you're using it for. So, you know, it's one of those questions that doesn't have an answer because the answer is it depends. Indeed it does. Although I will say for <laughs> reference, the ADA uh, stuff online is really good. Yes. Uh, the New Jersey Theatricals Alliance actually has some really good information on it, whether you're a theater or uh, uh, a church or a commercial space. And also I advise people to look into the fabulous Fox in St. Louis, that agreement that I mentioned. It's enlightening on what section two of that means for the federal courts these days. So, And, and it's not just a channel and it's yeah. very interesting. And, and it, it's, I was going to say, it's not just audio either, like yeah. 508 compliant touch panels with, yep. with Braille buttons and things. Yep. So there's a lot our industry should be aware of that we're not necessarily all the time. Right. Yeah, up, guys. The light switches and desks and all the rest. All right. right. Well, we have run up against the time, guys. That is our show. I want to thank our panelists for enlightening us on all of this. Uh, Frank Colada from Simcoe, where can they find you and more about your company, sir? www.simcoinc.com. All right, any social? Thanks for having me. All right, any social for you? Uh, no, we're going to go through the there website. Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Dale, Dan Helfert, uh, VP of Customer Development at Marketing at Z-Band. Where can they find out more about you and, of course, Z-Band? You can look me up on link LinkedIn. Thankfully, there aren't that many Dan Helfricks in the world, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and you can hit our company website at www.z-band.com. Cool. And of course, Dawn, 
you have social. We know you do. The host of AV Social <laughs> and the <laughs> architect. We're a company to be unnamed. Where can yep. they find out more about you? Well, I'm not going to tell you where you can find me at work. If you know, you know. If you don't, oh, well. Sorry about that. It's a you can, no basis. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but you can find me on all the social networks. Uh, things like LinkedIn, you'll find me, Dawn Mead, and the Twitters and the Instagrams and all the other things. I am at AV Dawn. And, of course, you can always find me here on avnation.tv, hosting AV Social, a new one just recorded this week and should be live now. Look, look on the socials for links and uh, occasionally popping up here on AV Week. Very cool. All right, guys. Well, I want to thank you and you, of course, the audience or the, the viewers uh, for watching. And these, the AV Nation shows are made possible by our sponsors, our, our uh, advertisers. Uh, please go check out our list of sponsors. They really help keep this the lights on and these shows going. Uh, we have shows covering all the verticals in the industry from IT and AV to residential and beyond. That's avnation.tv. Go there, get lost, marathon watch. Uh, for everyone here, I'm George Tucker for AV Nation. Thank you for watching and we'll speak to you again very soon.